When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's Throwback Thursday. Hey, everybody. Chris makes a podcast producer. Chris Fafalius here. You know, this past Monday, we had Milo from The Descendants on to talk about the song Hope. It was an awesome episode, and we followed it up with an after-party episode about our favorite Descendants songs. The After Party is our bonus episode each week for our supporting cast members. We have a huge back catalog of episodes of that. And if you're interested, check out ChrisDemakes.com. You know the deal. But anyway, it was time for a Throwback Thursday episode. And Chris and I thought, hey, why not just make it Descendants Week? This episode with Milo was episode number 102, which, by the way, it's wild that we've been doing this for 102 weeks in a row now. But for Throwback Thursday, we figured we'd kick it all the way back to episode number four. It came out on June 21st, 2020, and the guest was Bill Stevenson. It was kind of wild listening back to such an early episode. Both Chris as a host and me as an editor and producer were still finding our footing a little bit that early in the pod. I opened the session back up and cleaned up a few things and added in a few more song clips, but for the most part, I didn't mess with this episode. This episode touched so many people, and we know that because there was an outpouring from listeners after it first aired, and there continues to be even today. Yeah, almost two years later, people still talk to us about this episode, and that's all a credit to Bill. He opened up and put his heart out there, and I know so many people out there just connected with his story, and uh, if you haven't listened to it yet, maybe you will too. So yeah, that's all the setup I'm going to do for this. We're actually going to take a moment for a word from our sponsors right now because I didn't want to break up this episode and put an ad in the middle of it. So yeah, after a quick ad break, enjoy episode four from June 21st, 2020 with Bill Stevenson. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply. Hey, everybody. Welcome to a special Krista Makes a Podcast Father's Day episode. I'd like to start off by wishing all the fathers out there a happy Father's Day. This episode is, uh, wow, I don't even really know where to begin. Um, I, I guess the only word is uh, it's, it's special what I was uh, privileged to uh, be able to 
to hear from one of my heroes. This week's guest is Bill Stevenson, drummer for uh, Flag currently, which uh, of course was Black Flag, all and perhaps best known for uh, The Descendants. Bill and I go go back a number of years. Uh, he, <laughs> he was and is one of my musical heroes that I got to become friends with. First toured with Bill uh, back in 1997 on the Descendants Caffeine Nation tour. And uh, Bill wanted to discuss uh, a couple songs of his. One's called Steve's Boy and the other is called One More Day. They are companion piece songs. So this is the first episode to feature two songs from an artist, but they kind of go hand in hand and need to be talked about together. Uh, They both deal uh, with Bill's relationship with his father and uh, how these songs were cathartic uh, with the grieving process Bill went through prior to and after his father uh, is passing away. Uh, just so my listeners know, I would I would never uh, exploit my, my hero, let alone anybody, let, let alone my hero. Uh, I had <laughs> had to uh, ask Bill twice. I texted him and then I, I, I called him and I said, are you sure? Uh, you want me to run this in its entirety? And he said, yes, Chris, I, I, I want my story to be told uh, about these songs. And uh, uh, get a box of tissues ready. This one's, uh, this one's heavy. So without any further ado, uh, yeah, stay tuned. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Bill has two songs that we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna work into the show this week, um, and, and the reason reason being is is because uh, these songs are, are uh, uh, sister songs, brother songs, so to speak, or, um, at, or at least cousins, yeah, or at least or, or at least yeah, <laughs> or at least first cousins, uh, which is a great story. And I'll just preface this real quick. Uh, One more day uh, was on the Descendants record, uh, "Cool to Be You," which came out. Uh, I want to say in 2004. Is that correct, Bill? Yeah, sounds about right. Oh yeah. four, and uh, um, I, you know, I, music hits everyone a certain way. Uh, certainly, I I get those goosebumps and those hair that stick up like everyone that that that, that has a passion for music. But you know, I uh, and I and I have I have a, a soft spot. I can I can cry sometimes, and but you know, I can count on one hand the amount of songs that that bring me to tears or to my knees. And one more day is a tearjerker. And we'll get into that in a moment. But this song I loved so much. And uh, last year I was at Brack Rock with Bill, which is a punk rock festival in Belgium. And I was talking to him. I was sharing, you know, how much I love this song. And he said, well, did you ever hear Steve's Boy? And I said, no. And Steve's Boy uh, is a song that Bill wrote that's the uh, uh, first cousin <laughs> to, to One More Day that was on a Lemonheads record that Bill and Carl from The Descendants played on in 2006. So um, let's start first. First, Bill, was One More Day written first or was Steve's Boy written first? Steve's Boy is the precursor, um, but the way I am with finishing songs and recording them and getting them released, the way it turned out is that One More Day was released before Steve's Boy, but Steve's Boy was, it was written first, but then I sort of didn't finish it. 
so I, f- I finished it and released it after One More Day, but, but it's really the first song in, in that story. That's interesting that you say that. It makes sense because when I went and listened to the song, and I listened to it uh, right in Belgium that day. I went back to, the, to my uh, bus and I put it on because I hadn't oh, heard funny. the song. Oh, funny. I was wondering if you, if you were going to do that right when we talked or if, you know, if oh, it was... D- almost immediately <laughs> i went i went and listened to it and i was like wait a second this this almost sounds like it was written first and i because i know it was recorded after um so you know take me back and and, and i'm gonna back up here in a minute so i got had the pleasure of meeting bill and descendants in 96 less than jake were were, were granted a, to, you know asked to be on the uh caffeine nation tour and then of course we did a bunch of stuff with all and you know getting to know you guys and at some point i, I think i was having lunch with you bill and you kind of were telling me about your father you know he was in, in poor health and and then of course he passed away and uh uh, you know, so I kind of knew the backstories to, to, to at least one more day. And then when I heard the song, when it came out, like I said, it just it damn near brought me to my knees because, you know, it's just such a powerful lyric. So I guess, you know, we're going to start with Steve's boy that was written first. Do you remember where you were at and, and, and when you wrote that song? Yeah, my father and I had kind of uh, become estranged. Uh, we, we never had a great relationship, but at some point he kind of just told me to not come around anymore to visit him. And he was living out in the desert, which is like a couple hour drive from L.A., um, you know, where I'm from. So I didn't see my dad for maybe a couple years. And then one day my sister called and said, Billy, dad's in the hospital. And I kind of said, well, he hates me, and she said, "No, you, no, this is bigger than that. You have to get out there and see him." And I, I went out. I drove out to the desert, and and there he was. But he didn't look like my dad. He looked like my grandpa. Like in those in those two years, he had just aged and weakened, and and so there he was in the hospital. So I, I said, "Hi, Dad," and he said, "Hey," and I, I said, "I go. Do, do you still hate me?" He said, "No, I don't hate you." He goes, "Can you get me out of here, though?" And I, <laughs> I, I, I and I said, "Yeah, I'll I'll try to get you out of there." So they didn't want him to leave because he his living situation out in the middle of the desert with no near neighbors or anything and nobody taking care of him. They deemed it to be precarious. So I had him, you know, release my. I had them release my dad into into my custody, my care. And we went back to his house. And so from that point forward, I basically had to take care of him because he was unable to get around at all and unable to, you know, make it to the bathroom and things like that and cook his meals. I remember you telling me that you had built wheelchair ramps and stuff. You know, you kind of fit your house for someone that, w- that was handicapped. That was later. Yeah. But so this was at his house in the desert. He had these weird like makeshift studs that ran from the floor to ceiling that he could grab the studs and kind of walk almost like how a monkey bar works but the studs were vertical so he could grab onto one stud to get from his chair to the bathroom but he kept he kept falling you know it was a faulty system he kept falling so i decided well we we have to do something and then you know my sister and i proceeded to set up this whole scenario where she and i would take shifts driving or flying to the desert and taking care of him. But then we we couldn't do it all the time because we both had jobs. 
So we, you know, we hi- we hired a couple people to fill in, and but then when we weren't there, it it just was precarious without having a family member taking care of him, having these kind of random people that live in the desert that we could that we could find to hire to take care of him. It just wasn't. It wasn't safe, and he he would fall, and he'd lay fallen until maybe one of his buddies happened to stop by. But it's oh. again, it's the middle of the desert. You know, one time I think he laid on the ground for a day or so. So you know, Kathy and I, my sister and I, we tried to to maintain his house thing there, where he could stay in his house, and you know, we could just take care of him. But at a certain point, when he felt like he could just make his way to the bathroom and back, he just he kind of just was trying to tell me to go away and that he doesn't need me to take care of him. And I, I but I didn't go away. And that's, this is kind of what Steve's boy is about is just about me having to kind of fight him to, for him to allow me to take care of him. Hello, it's me, your son again. I'll let myself in back to save your life. Hello, it's me, your son again. I'll let myself in, back to save your life, back to ruin your day. I can't make you well, I can't make you love me, but I'm not leaving here without you. And I got goosebumps reading that right now, Bill. That is just, <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, that 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 kind of says it all. And this is coming from a guy, uh, you know, that... Uh, you know, wrote, I like food and wiener schnitzel. I mean, this is, this is deep. (laughs) (laughs) This is deep, man. So, uh, you know, I'm sorry, continue. I just wanted to share, share those lyrics there just to kind of let listeners know about, you know, those, again, I, uh, the only word I have is those are really deep lyrics. Well, that's just what was happening at the time. Uh, I just kind of (laughs) moved in there and Kathy and I would take turns sleeping on the, on this cot because there wasn't, there was just a one-room cabin in the middle of the desert. There were, there weren't spare bedrooms or any kind of thing like that. So I would just sleep on the cot, and I would set the cot up in his little kitchen, and I would sleep in the kitchen, and or or Kathy, my sister, we would take turns. But at a certain point, I, I had I had to figure out some way to to take care of him, but also not basically just abandon my life. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, that's kind of what. Steve's boy is about um, the the chorus. It's, it's uh, Steve's boy won't let you die alone in the desert with fear in your eyes. Uh, you can't break me. You can't make me go away. Steve's boy won't let you die alone in the desert with fear in your eyes. You can't break me. You can't make me go away. But stop trying to push me out. I'll never say when you never showed me how You can't break me, you can't make me go away I'm not gonna go away And that's just what I felt at the time uh, And I, I felt like I had to be there and, but, and he also had a lot of dementia creeping up Which I was young enough to where I didn't really understand what dementia was so he would say rude things to me or mean things to me, and I was taking them personally, but I didn't 
really realize that the dementia just makes you do all kinds of crazy things. It does. It does. There's, there's different stages with dementia. I went through it with family members where there's you know, denial, there's anger, there's grief, there's all these things uh, that, that come out. Now, when you wrote the song, um, do you remember writing it? Like, what, did it just come out one day? Did the lyrics come first or did, did you pick up a guitar? Uh, did the music come first or did you write it all at the same time? Do you remember? Yeah, no, those things, those songs, they just come to me kind of in a dream or a premonition. I don't, I don't, uh, I've never been much of a, what you'd call a song craftsman. I don't really sit down with the guitar and know, oh, this chord sounds good and that chord sounds good and hey, I'll write some lyrics. Usually I have these, these epiphanies or these, these kind of dreams, like a lot of times it's right when I wake up. Or it could be in the middle of the night, I'll wake up. That's kind of my, the songs that I've written that are good, that's how they came about. And, the, and, and Steve's Boy was certainly no different. It's just, I mean, those are just kind of the bare, it's the bare facts of what was happening in my life. I didn't, I don't have a great imagination. I'm not a poet or anything. I, this is just what was happening in my life. All I did was write it down, <laughs> exactly what was happening. Right. But a lot of times when you do that, you know, if you write lyrics, I mean, these are pretty verbatim lyrics. Hello, it's me, your son again. But a lot of times when people tend to do that, it, it I don't know, it just kind of comes off as, I don't know, not abstract enough to be a song. And these just, they, they don't, they don't say that at all. This just comes across as just, yeah, you know what it means, but it just tugs at your heartstrings. So back when you wrote the song, I mean, so you, you wrote this as a precursor to One More Day. Um, was there any... Uh, thought about recording this for uh, a Descendants or All project, uh, uh, maybe to be on Cool Cool to Be You or, or not? I think I hadn't written a bridge for it, so it kind of sat around, okay? Because I I didn't it didn't I didn't have a bridge, so it sat around for a while, and then um, things moved on, and so then the the next thing you know, I'm moving my father out of his house and moving him to live with me in Colorado here in a, in a house that I bought specifically that had this kind of side wing to it where I could wheel him out of his room. And I, I bug, you know, our roadie bug, you know, he, he built a little wheelchair ramp so I could get my dad out of the back room and into the kitchen, into the main part of the house if he wanted to be there. And so I, my sister and I, we, I, I keep saying I, but it was my sister and I like threw all this together. Um, we, we loaded up his kind of reclining chair that he would sit in and watch TV. We loaded it up into the front of the Dodge van. So I, so my sister and I were in the two front seats and then my dad was kind of right behind us in his reclining chair. And we drove out and we moved him into the house. And obviously this was a big disruption for him, but uh, you know, and he he protested, but I, I didn't really know what else to do. I mean, it seemed like I did the, what had to be done. You still had to have your life, too. I mean, you couldn't be, you know, uh, running to the desert every time your sister needed you or he needed you. Well, and the, and the people that we were trying to hire to take care of him, I mean, out there in that desert, there's just a lot of tweakers and meth heads and stuff. It just wasn't, it wasn't safe. And I, yeah. someone had to make that decision and I did. And, you know, looking back on it, it was obvious, but at the time it was, I was fraught with confusion and, and also getting resistance from, from him. So no sooner did we, I get him settled in there a couple of days, 
he, he just began to express real disgruntlement. And he actually started, he started calling the police, saying that he was being held captive against his will and that he was being abused. Uh, and, and so, I mean, that was, you know, this is just horrible to be thinking about this now. Uh, uh, you know, it's been 20 years or whatever. But so the, the police would come over and I would, I would let them in and, and they'd say, well, we, we understand there's a bad situation. And I said, no, I'm just, I said, I'm just taking care of my father. Uh, he's in the back room here and why don't you come look around? And so the, the police would come over and they'd say hi to him and they'd look around. They'd make sure everything was like clean and tidy and that he didn't have any signs of any kind of abuse or whatever. But then then they'd, they'd leave, you know, they'd apologize to me. But I would say, no, I understand. I mean, he ha- he has a right as a citizen. But but so what what kept happening is he kept just being really rude to me and telling me to to leave him alone and just to not to not that he just wants to he wants to just die in his own house and uh and it was just that it was just really difficult for me it was uh and he was also rude to my sister and he every evening i realized there's this thing they call it a sun sundowning it's the dementia gets bad in the evening um and I realized every evening he was freaking out. He'd yell at me and he'd cuss at me. One time he he peed all over me when I was trying to help clean him up. And uh, I but he did it on purpose. I mean, because I he didn't have a problem where he ha- couldn't control it, you know. Sure. And so he peed all over me while I was taking care of him, and 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 uh, and he would call. And he kept calling the cops, and the cops kept coming, and they just. At that point, it was kind of like a formality. They would just say, you know, hey, Bill, how you doing? We got to come in. And, you know, they'd come in and look around and saw that everything was fine. I mean, I really took a lot of pride in taking care of him. I, and I, I know you did because I remember you talking to me about it. And I was just I was humbled that you shared it with me then. And I want to stop you real quick and thank you. Um, you know, you said this is still painful to bring up, but. I mean, this is <laughs> this podcast revolves around songwriting, but this is very personal stuff you're sharing with the listeners, and I, I really appreciate it. Thank you. I think if people don't know those songs, they'll this will seem like maybe a boring conversation. But if they do know the songs, that this might really make them get a, a lot more out of the songs. Oh yeah, and if they don't know the songs, they're going to go listen after they hear this story because the story's fascinating. Yeah, but so. He just kept telling me he didn't want to be there and that he wanted me to, um, hang on, hang on a second. Sure. We can edit all this. We can edit all this out, Bill. Uh, every time I try to talk about this, it's fuck. Um, he said he want he said he he wanted me to put him in a nursing home. Uh, you know, which I I didn't want to do, so I I said no. I'm I'm your son, and I'm gonna take care of you, and. Uh, 
he just he just resisted me and you know he'd wake up in the middle of the night i had a i had a little baby monitor that i would put on my nightstand you know so i'm in there with stacy you know with my fiance at the time and i have this baby monitor and you know he would wake up a million times the night and so i was getting up every 30 minutes to go to go turn him over or to go to get him to the bathroom or to you know fix his pillow or sheets or whatever i had to do cuz he really could barely move and or anything and and uh, he he then he you know he'd, he'd scream at me in the middle of the night or tell me why am I why am I why am I keeping him there like why are you keeping me here, Billy you you and I have never been really been close like why are you why are you making me stay here this isn't my house and a lot of it was the dementia but a lot of it was probably just his his pride or whatever I mean what I what I realized much much after the fact is that. When you take away someone's independence, you you really do crush their spirit. And this was the part of it that I couldn't see at the time. I was so focused on his health and his physical well-being and his safety that I wasn't thinking about his psychological well-being. I wasn't thinking about the possibility that maybe he actually did want to just die laying on the floor after falling out in his cabin in the desert and that maybe that maybe that would have been the best way to do it but i could i certainly w- couldn't see that at the time and it's like i was thinking well there's no way in hell i'm going to let my father be in a dangerous situation since he can't no longer take care of himself and so he and he kept he kept fighting me and he kept fighting me and uh one day he even said, you know, Bill, th- th- this this room I'm in is going to be your den someday. Your kids are going to play in this room. And he goes, I don't I don't want this room to be the place where their where their grandpa who they never really knew died. I don't want I don't want to die here. And I was like, so I was so foolish and I was much younger and I was naive. And I was like, well, you're not, you're not going to die, dad. I'm going to get you back to health. I'm, I'm giving you vegetables every day and, and uh, we're going to get you back on your feet. Um, I was, I was delusional. I didn't really. You're in denial. I wasn't, I wasn't admitting to myself that he was, um, you know, on his last little little time here you know on the back nine so to speak can i stop you there just real quick so so the next the companion song one more day i mean again i i every hair in my body standing up right now bill uh the first lyric of the song uh folks is spent the last years in denial of my grief that's what you're talking about spent the last years in denial of my grief because you hated me
the sad part of it is that he he continued to to protest um and uh so i did take him i did take him to a nursing home because i i genuinely had concluded that that's what he wanted and that he did you know he gave he finally gave me a concrete reason he said i don't want to die in your you know in your guest room and um so I took him to this nursing home and uh what I assumed would happen is you know those places are not very cool. I mean there's just that's just not a good place to be when you have if you have living family, your living family should be the ones to take care of you, not some random people. Uh so I thought I would take him down there and it would be kind of like a little, oh okay, is this what you want? And then I just assumed that like the next day, you know, he would call me back and say, well, Bill, maybe you're right. Maybe you better come get me, you know, which, of course, I would. Uh, but, um, I mean, no sooner did I get him moved off, moved down in there. Bug helped me move all of his stuff. Uh, he died the next day. Oh, uh. uh, um. Well, you uh you 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 loved your father and and you couldn't you couldn't stop loving him, Bill. And uh the fact that you're sharing this is uh I I'm at a loss for words. I uh you know, I have to say and it's hard for me to say this. Um I know you have people that you've looked up to in your career, but you're still my hero, Bill. Uh, your whole band is. Uh, you guys You guys paved the way. Uh, by the time I got into playing in my band in the early 90s, you guys had already played all the shitty clubs and dealt with all the dickhead security guards and everything you had to deal with to pave the way for, for bands like mine to have a, a quote-unquote career. Um, and just, again, just knowing the backstory of this and then still talking about it 20 years later it still hits me that it's never going to go away every time i hear this song uh the both of these songs now and um i just would like to say you know it's so apparent now that steve's boy was written first even though it was it was recorded uh, uh later because steve's boy is still written from the perspective that dad was still there when you get to one more day um it's all in past tense yeah. And and uh it is it is gut wrenching this song. Uh again, it's on the record Cool to Be You. Uh, it's uh, called One More Day by Descendants. Go you know, if you're listening to this podcast, check this song out. If you if you have any <laughs> love at all, which most of you do for your parents, whether they're still here or not. And I think that's what kills me the most, Bill, is that uh you know, when I spoke to you at Brack Rock last year, uh, my dad was recently diagnosed with Parkinson's and uh, I've seen his health decline. Dad's been my biggest cheerleader and supporter all these years. And um, when I when I read these lyrics, you know, I uh, it's life. Not everything lasts forever. And, and uh, this song hits me harder now than it did did 20 years ago when you when you released it uh, or wrote it. Uh, it's <clears throat> came out in 04. 
Um, so let's let's talk about one more day a little bit. Again, the, the first lyric is spent the last years in denial of my grief because you hated me. Anyone could see. I'll always wonder what I meant to you and why you hated me, what I did to you. I mean, it sounds like to me at this point, you were still trying to come to grips with, with what the, the hell went on. You went to the desert, you and your sister, you were trying to nurse him back to health. Like you said, you were young. You, you were like, I'm going to feed you vegetables. You gave him every wish he wanted. You finally put him into a home. Um, but this is, you know, you're still struggling when you wrote this song. I, uh, it's funny if, if you compare it to my, say my closure with my mother, my mother and I had a really good relationship. And when she passed away, I was at peace and I, it didn't, it didn't haunt me for, you know, 10 years. It was like a, uh, not to be no death in the family's normal, but I mean, it was a normal death in the family. Okay. My mother has passed away. You have a funeral and then you move on with your life. But the way my father and I, the way our relationship was, it just, uh, there was no closure. There was no closure there. He just, um, he was mean to me right up until the end, you know, like that last verse or the, the song only has two verses. Cause it's got the big, what Carl calls it, the bridge too far. It's got the big long bridge. <laughs> yeah. The, br- the bridge is crazy. It goes to all these minor weird jazz chords. It's, I, I love it. I love it. Yeah, I I was experimenting a lot with kind of trying to write things that were sort of chromatic or atonal during that time. All of my three songs on Cool to Be You, they all have chromatic sections like where there's there's, where there's not really a key um that maddie mad the song maddie has that too and also the song the anchor grill uh and those all those both have like atonal sections and that that was just kind of what i was into at the time but but the second the second verse um you know it says uh, and in the end we didn't have a thing to say still those games to play and then you passed away it's like he never he never gave me a chance to he or he never allowed me to 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 be his friend to be his son uh and um and I didn't find out till kind of around the time of his funeral when some of my aunts some of my aunts explained to me that my father was just always a very bitter man and that they frankly didn't know how it is that I put up with him as long as I did. Your aunts were they able to express love because it you know it yes. sounds like it's yes it sounds it sounds like your father wasn't able to express love. He, he wasn't. He, ex- he wasn't, and they they blamed it on two things. They blamed it on two things. Um, my aunt Adelia, she told me that their father used to just beat the shit out of them for any excuse, even if they they didn't do anything wrong. They got beat on a daily basis. 
And you you got to get this was in like the 1920s and 30s. My father was born in 1916. Uh, so it was different times, right? But so they said that he he just grew up hard and then he grew and then in the depression he had to just leave his little town and he would just hop on trains to try to go to the next stop where there might be some work. And eventually um he he ended up going volunteering to go into World War II and while he was in his third year he got a dear John letter from his fiance. And so I think between his father beating him so much and maybe just his inherent things in his personality uh, and then the fact that he got the Dear John letter while he was freezing his nuts off up in the Aleutian Islands during World War II uh, trying, trying to do the right thing, I think it just, it just made him hate everyone. And, and you know, maybe, maybe the Dear John letter made him maybe hate women a lot. He, he tried to teach me to hate women when I was a kid. Uh, I mean, there, he had, he was, he was raised in a bad way too. I mean, he, he was raised by a racist and all, all of those sorts of things that were popular back then. And so, so I guess my aunts, at the end of the day, my aunts told me I shouldn't, I shouldn't take it personally and I shouldn't let it weigh on my mind because it was just my father and it was just how he was. And at the time, their their advice went in one ear and out with the other because I had my opinion that I I was just the most miserable person in the world and I was never going to get over it. But you know what? After years, you get over it. You do get over it, and things you start to see things from a different perspective. And I also I started to see things from my father's perspective, in that possibly I should have allowed him to just stay in his home. Even if he did, even if he was in danger, maybe I should have done that. I mean, uh, maybe that would have been the right call from from his perspective, though it certainly was wouldn't have been the right call from my perspective. Well, how were you? You know, and it leads me to my, was it your mother? How were you able to love with your heart so much? It makes me want. You know, it makes probably other people wonder too. After all this story you, you've just shared. Oh, my mother. My mother was very loving. She was the polar opposite of my father. My father was all about take care of business and and do everything on time, never be late, you know, no drugs or whatever, nothing. Well, because a lot a lot of people would have been like, "Hey, my dad's treated me like this. You know what? I'm going to let him rot in the desert." And that you did you did the exact opposite of what a lot of people may have done. You know, you're like, "No, you're my blood. You're my father. I'm 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 here to as you put it, I'm going to nurse you back to health. I mean, I don't think I, I don't think I deserve the Purple Heart or anything. In fact, I, I think it's kind of shameful how common it is in, I guess, more Western civilization, particularly America, where we don't, we don't take care of our elderly. We kind of put them in a numbered room and you know come visit them once a month. We don't, we don't have it in in. So it's many cult, so many cultures in the world. You've got a house where you've got the grandma living there, the great grandma, and you know what? They're the most respected people in the house. Is, is the abuela and the and the great the great abuela? They they're the most respected people in the house. And that in America we don't really have that so much. It's as soon as you, it's like as soon as you you don't pull your weight anymore, we got a numbered room waiting for you, man. Carl. 
Carl wrote that song. It wasn't, it couldn't have been a year after my dad died. He, Carl wrote that song called Lock Em Away. And uh-huh. that, God, those lyrics are so great. It's about, it's about um, everybody that just, where we just put them away, we, whether it's a criminals in prison or someone that's me- maybe mentally challenged and we just put them in the insane asylum or the elderly, you know, once they can't pull their weight, we just put them away. And child displayed the seven warning signs. I don't, you know, I don't believe in that, and I don't, I don't think that makes me anything special. I think that's just, that's just how it should be. <laughs> no, and and I and I wasn't saying that, you know, yeah, you deserve a purple heart. I just meant from the standpoint of, again, you know, you you put up with a lot, and you were still able to love through it all, and and that's that's commendable. And I know many of the listeners can, you know, can relate to that because everyone has gone through something with a parent. I know I'm going through it with my dad right now. I'm seeing his health decline. And again, that's why these songs hit me. When you, when you, when you offer, you know, I had asked you what songs you want to do and you picked these. I was elated because um, certainly there's, uh, you know, more known uh, Descendants songs. You could have picked, you have, you have tons of songs, all Descendants, Black Flag, tons of songs from your catalog. Uh, but I am, I'm really jazzed that you picked these two. I'm, I'm, I'm happy. Um, you know, songwriting is so cathartic. Did you feel any type of weight off your shoulders when you wrote these two songs? Did did it give you any more closure with what happened? It it did. Um, I mean, you could ask Stefan about this. I mean, the day that I sat down with the guitar and showed Carl and Stefan how to play one, one more day, I mean, I just was a a driveling ball of tears and uh, I remember when I was done showing them all the weird chords and all that business I felt a a, a lot of relief because I knew that catharsis was going to come you know that thing that I'm known for which is my songs are just one big diary that's what they they all are they're all a diary I don't I don't have much of an imagination so I can only write from things that actually happen and I remember there was a great weight lifted off of my head by just showing them the song, by just sharing it with someone. And and then uh, and then the other great weight would have been when it was mixed. And then I it was like, okay, there it is. There's the documentation of of Steve, you know. <laughs> well, that's what that's what I was going to ask. The first, so the first time you you heard a mix back from one, one more day, the song's finished and you're and you're hearing it put together. It's completely done because I'm assuming you didn't demo it previous to this. You just showed the guys the chords and the arrangement, and then you guys went and recorded it. Correct? I don't think we demoed it. Uh, uh-uh. uh I don't think we. I mean, we practiced it a lot of times in our in our practice room but you know our practice room was just right there next door to the our studio right in the same big building yeah and the i mean the other big the other big weight off of it was again i guess the weight comes in stages was you know we never played it live until like a year and a half ago i remember that yeah and uh and uh was when the first time we played it live, I remember I was just like, "Okay, Bill, you just, 
just try to breathe breathe through it and once you've played it one time it's going to be then from then on it'll be easy to to it'll be okay like if you make it through this one time then it'll be okay to play it from that point forward and that's what happened and now when i play it i have a i have a smile on my face and i think about i think about my father and i don't i don't blame him I don't blame him and I just and I don't blame me. It's just that's the way things were from 1968 when my parents got divorced until 2000 when my father died. That's just how things were and it's not his fault and it's not my fault and I can actually kind of enjoy the song. I'm going to tell you there's there's a ly- the lyric that got me because again your dad passed in 2000. We did a ton of tours with all from less than Jake from 98 to 99 2000 that era. Uh, the mass murder uh, era, that record. Uh, and, um, you know, we had, we had would talk about your dad and I, I knew the story of the wheelchair ramps and, and, you know, I, I heard bits and pieces and then I heard this song in 04 and the line that, I mean, just tears me apart. We never got along. We never got a chance to sing our song of love. And um, it, it sounds to me like uh, in, in his passing, that you 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 are singing his song of love now. You know you you've been able to do it. Uh, uh, you know a- after his passing, you, you're able to go out and play the song. It, it killed you the first time, but since then you're able to go out. You're able to think of of the times with your dad, and and uh, uh, it, it seems like you you have had some sense of closure. Yeah, it's it's um, it it definitely brings me back to it. You know, talking about it because then I'm I'm thinking about. Miles, you know, my son. Uh-huh. And uh Oh. Okay, well, here here we go. Okay, so <clears throat> you know, in the <sighs> Okay. So in the bridge there, I I talk about I, I love my daddy boy. And uh, that was from when when I was a little boy. My my father would would put his arm around me and say, "I love my Billy boy," and I'd say, "I love my daddy boy." But when after my mom divorced him, and she bankrupted us, and he had to start working two jobs, two full-time jobs, to get us out of debt. He, he didn't say, I love my Billy Boy anymore. He quit saying it. And, uh... I'm so sorry, Bill. So, so when he died, I felt like I should say that to him one, one more time. And that... And that, so that's why that's that way. I know nobody understands that lyric, lyric why it is, but now now they'll know. And I understand uh, it. I understand it now. Oh my gosh. And <clears throat> uh, so I'm with my son. I I um uh when he was a little kid, I I would I always called him my boo boo man, and uh, <laughs> so so I taught him. I taught him when when he was three, I would say, I love my boo-boo man. And he would say, I love my daddy boy. And so I kept that alive or I 
I resurrected it after my father tried to kill it. And I still do it. I do it every morning when I see my son. I, he's 20 years old now. I say I love my bo- I say I love my boo boo man, and I put my arm around him and I hug him, and I kiss him. I say I love my boo boo man, and he says I love my daddy boy. And I said, I, Miles, I want you to promise me you won't ever quit saying that to me. And he says, I promise, Dad. Oh, Bill. Well, I I didn't think that my uh, day was going to be <laughs> talking to my hero and crying. <laughs> I got a three-year-old son, and, and uh, wow, oh my gosh, Bill. <laughs> um, you don't, you beautiful. don't ever that's, get that's too beautiful. You don't ever get too old to, to to love to love your kid and love your love your dad. You don't you don't ever get too old for that for a hug, for a kiss. No, it's not no. like once they become teenagers, then you have to keep your distance. Yeah. That's that's absolutely not true, not necessary. Yeah. Um. Okay. Well, <laughs> we're gonna wrap up here. Um. Uh, I didn't know where this conversation was going to go with you today. I am beyond grateful that you were able to share this with me again, with the listeners. Um, This is fascinating from a songwriting standpoint of, of the pain that you went, how these songs were bore out of pain. And I, I can't thank you enough for for going there uh showing your vulnerability today as a human being because a lot of uh quote-unquote rock stars uh guys and bands do do not show that side of themselves there's this machoism you know bullcrap that goes along with it and uh this was beyond what i could have ever asked for bill thank thank you well, thank you, Chris. It's 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 good to catch up with you. We haven't, you know, we don't see each other as much as we used to. It's good to catch up with you. And I guess if I was going to ever try to tell this story, you you're a good person for me to to tell it with. Well, I uh, I am again hum- humbled and honored that you told it to me. Um, I didn't know it was going to take this turn either. I mean, I didn't I didn't know I didn't know that these <laughs> I didn't know that just by talking about this it would bring it all back right back up regurgitatively i didn't realize that it would do this to me but now now i know (laughs) better 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 to not talk about it (laughs) i I didn't think i didn't think i would ever cry on a a podcast uh and uh, i did and uh and that's okay (laughs) um uh geez i just uh before we go just is there anything you'd like our listeners to know what's what's going on in bill's world right now I'm actually uh, trying to put some songs together because we're kind of in the middle of recording a new Descendants record. And, yes. Uh, and uh, yes. Milo and Stefan are they're ahead of they're ahead of me and Carl. They've all written. Carl, my, Milo and Stefan have written a good good handful of songs, and I've re, we've recorded a lot of them. Uh, but I'm trying to get my songs finished and organized. I take the longest always. That's why my songs sometimes don't get demoed because. It's just like okay, I finished it. Let's record it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm always the last one, and then Carl, Carl too. I think he's still getting his songs together. 
That's awesome. And for the uh, for my listeners that don't know, uh, Bill owns the Blasting Room in Fort Collins, uh, Fort Collins, Colorado. The Blasting Room is a world-renowned studio. Uh, uh, they've done tons of amazing, huge records out there. The recent Less Than Jake record, Silver Linings, that's coming out later this year, was just mixed again at the Blasting Room. It sounds amazing. Can't wait for everyone to hear it. And uh, if you want uh, anything done by the Blasting Room, go check them out online. And uh, yeah, get your record mixed there. Go record there. It's amazing. Okay, well, Chris, thank you for having me, and everybody who's listening, thank you. I hope I hope I didn't make, and I hope I didn't make people uncomfortable by kind of breaking down. But I I, I guess I I tried my best not to, but um, I guess I'm not as strong uh, I, as I thought I would be. <laughs> I've I've known you for 25 years, and I've never seen you break down. That's why I'm uh, I'm. This is I don't even I don't have any words right now, Bill. <laughs> I just uh, I just I, I cherish our friendship. I cherish your band. Your band means your bands plural means so much. Your songs mean so much to so many people. Thank you. I love you, my friend. Well, I love you too, Chris. And I guess we'll end on a high note. So I'll see everybody later. And Chris, I'm sure I'll see you before too long if we ever get back out to touring again once this uh, pandemic thing figures out what it's going to do. Absolutely, man. You have a a great rest of your day. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for taking the time for me, Bill. Okay, goodbye. We never got along. We never got a chance to sing our song of love. I love my daddy boy. Did you love your boy? Oh, you feel so warm to me now. It's cold in this room. Tomorrow puts you in the ground And there's nothing I can ever do To have one more day Like yesterday I'll pick you up You pull me down Wish you were still around For one more day Like yesterday It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living. And every week, I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there.